Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Denver Stiff Show. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Thursday night as we are on the eve of a couple of games against the Phoenix Suns. Uh, a very unique time in the schedule uh, for, for some of these teams. We thought that there would be some more series like these, but as it turns out, that hasn't really happened. It's it's This is going to be the second time on the season that the Nuggets are going to play a team back-to-back, the first being Minnesota. They won both of those games without Carl Anthony Towns pretty handily. Uh, this is going to be different. The Suns are very good. And, and to help me break them all down, uh, I've brought on SB Nation's Bright Side of the Sun contributor, Sam Cooper, on to, to help me break this down. You're also the co-host of the Timeline podcast. Make sure to follow him for all the great Suns content at SC, uh, at S Cooper Hoops. Excuse me. Uh, Sam, how are you, man? It's good to hear from you. I'm doing great, Ryan. Thank you. Thank you for bringing me on. Uh, how did you get into into SB Nation and, and just being being a Suns fan? Are, are you a Suns fan? Is this just something that, that oh, you're wow. passionate about? Like, what what's the what's the story back there? Um, yeah, I'm a Suns fan. Been a Suns fan. So I grew up in New York, and I'm still in New York, uh, this state nice. at least. But uh, yeah, I've been a Suns fan ever since the Steve Nash era. Um, held strong through with it uh, through the past 10 years, which have not been so great, um, at which point I dabbled in, as, as I'm sure your listeners know, uh, at which point, you know, I dabbled with uh, being in various online Suns communities. And I started writing for Brightside uh, a, a little bit back, I think, in 2014, 2015, a while ago. Um, the managing editor, Dave King over there is a great guy. He, he brought me on briefly. Um, went away for a few years, came back last year, and uh, and yeah, it's it's been really good to me. It's been and and I'll I'll tell you what, um, you were maybe a little bit nice to us here when when you were introing us, saying that the Suns are a very good basketball team. But uh, it has been nice and and refreshing to cover a team that I think pretty much everyone is on the same page on this year about. They're actually at le- at the very least pretty good, <laughs> which is been- is a novel concept. Yeah, they're they're eight and five on the year, fourth in the Western Conference right now. It's it's been pretty impressive to watch them. And you look at the Lakers, you look at the Clippers, the Jazz have really come out to a strong start. You know that those teams were going to be there. People thought that the Nuggets would be there. I thought that the Nuggets would be up there, but they've they've gotten out to a struggle a little bit. But when Chris Paul was traded to the Suns, it re- it really started turning a page. I think from. The era of the Devin Booker Suns, where there were just a, a, a bunch of awful players and awful coaches around Devin Booker and what he was trying to do and grow into. Now it's it's a grown-up basketball team. And I think that it's, it, it feels like a good way to describe it. Is that, is that how you would prescribe that after the Paul trade? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it already had sort of shifted to being that last year. Obviously, um, we saw that more so with the bubble. But even outside of the bubble, they... Um, bringing in, getting a career year out of Kelly Oubre, who I understand is maybe not having his his best season now with Golden State, but he was very right. good for Phoenix last year. And bringing in a competent point guard in Ricky Rubio, um, also as the first year with Monty Williams as the head coach, it, it really last year just brought the Suns to a place of competence where you had to take them seriously for the first time in a few years. Um, but absolutely, you're right. Bringing in Chris Paul was the next step, and, and that has really firmly established them as... Uh, what looks to be, I mean, they're on the on the right track to be a playoff team. Who is the son that if if you picked out from that that kind of 2015 to 2018 era, who is the son that that you're still irrationally high on despite knowing that they're they're bad? <laughs> um, well, I joke in my Twitter bio, uh, I'm a big Shaq Harrison guy. I don't even know if the listeners know who Shaq Harrison is, but I've followed him <laughs> to. Uh, he went to Chicago for a couple of years. I always thought he deserved more playing time there. He's currently with Utah. I think he's played like a total of seven minutes this season or, or something. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was it was such a rough era to follow the Suns just because it was like the there were so few naturally gifted basketball players that the only guys uh, Suns fans found themselves getting attached to outside of Devin Booker, obviously, were kind of the hustle guys where maybe they weren't the most naturally gifted, but they won you over, you know, PJ Tucker sort of at the at the beginning of Devin Booker's career when he overlapped with Booker for the first couple of years was obviously that type of guy. But then there were other guys after that. And, and, and Shaq Harrison, I think for me personally, was definitely one of those guys. Um, but it's made, you know, looking back on that entire era, it's kind of just made Devin Booker in particular stand out as this developmental miracle for what he was able to become right. with five different head coaches in his first five seasons, which is pretty much unheard of at the Good NBA Lord. level. Yeah, I mean, oh. there's a lot of turnover, you know, with some franchises, but that's just it's it was it was the next level for that. So you said that that Monty Williams especially was was a a really big change. Just just one of the one of the reasons why this team has grown up. You didn't actually say Monty Williams, but I'm I'm gathering that that's that's definitely one of the reasons. Just becoming a more professional organization, bringing in some some more veteran talent for sure, like like a Ricky Rubio. But has has Chris Paul really changed the way that the Suns have played? Has is because it, it certainly feels that way from the outside that despite Devin Booker's stats not necessarily being at their peak right now, that that Chris Paul has really carried some of that burden well. He absolutely has. Well, here's the here's the funny thing about Phoenix this year. Phoenix is eight and five, mm-hmm. um, and neither Chris Paul nor Devin Booker look all that great. They look okay. But I think basically you could get all Suns fans to agree to the fact that they're not firing on all cylinders, particularly when they play together. The net ratings of Devin Booker and Chris Paul playing together so far have been pretty bad. And so to answer Hmm. your direct question, are the Suns playing differently? I think any outsider will notice immediately that the Suns are are playing a lot differently based on this one stat. The Phoenix Suns, um, after their game last night, rose up in the rankings to 28th in the NBA in pace before they were 30th before last yep. night. And I think basically anyone, you know, uh, forget the last decade of Phoenix Suns basketball for a second. Anyone who remembers the last time the Suns were good. And even through the years when they were bad, remembers them always as this uh, revolutionary team f- just for picking up the pace and and trying to run it down the floor and get transition buckets. They're not doing that this year. Uh, and that's entirely the difference between Ricky Rubio as your starting point guard versus Chris Paul. Um, the results have been obviously fairly good because the Suns have a winning record, but mixed in the sense that you're not necessarily getting the best out of Devin Booker right now. Um, and Chris Paul himself looks solid, but he doesn't look, uh, he, he definitely doesn't look all NBA cali- uh, caliber like he did with uh, the Thunder last season. Yeah. And, and that'll definitely come with age. That'll definitely come like it. Father time claims us all. Like, like mm-hmm. he has been an unbelievable player for so long. And uh, that OKC season almost almost stands out as just a, a complete anomaly of, of how great any point guard, particularly one that's under 6'2", uh, could could perform at that age. So Chris Paul really is a marvel. Uh, Devin Booker, obviously, we we know Devin Booker's really good. And, and he hasn't necessarily reached the level this year that people have have really pointed him out to be. Uh, Jamal Murray is in much of the same same. Uh-huh. I think their their stats are, exactly that comparison. So yeah, their their, their stats it. are actually remarkably similar for for yep. this year. Um, I I think that that's that's an interesting factor. Uh, as these teams have really grown up and and as as their identities have really shifted, I think Denver's obviously been ahead of of Phoenix for a little bit here. Uh, which players have stood out as as the reason outside of Chris Paul, outside of Devin Booker? that have really helped take the Suns to a different level? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's their wings. Um, in particular, yeah. the the young duo of Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson. Um, I mean, the thing, the thing about the Suns right now is they just, they've got maybe six or seven good players, none of whom is cl- the clear-cut best player on the team. I would right. say, you know, Devin Booker is the most talented player on the team. He's just not playing like it. Um, but for sure, the biggest surprise this season Mikhail Bridges has upped his scoring average as a third-year player at a Villanova. He's now averaging 15 points per game. Um, previously, he looked like a guy who has always been a tremendous defensive talent, but didn't have a lot of confidence in his uh, offensive game, only averaged about nine points per game last year. And in the absence of Kelly Oubre, he's taken a big step up. Um, and Cam Johnson, who was a rookie last year out of UNC, has also taken a big step up. He saw a bigger role in the bubble, and that seems to have gone a long way into uh, instilling more confidence in him. 
So he's a guy who will go out there now and he'll fire off seven or eight threes per game, which which is great to Man. see. From him. Yeah, I mean, you it's, know, so it's much, unbelievably fun to watch him. So much of the transformation for you know James Jones is is relatively new to this organization too. It's not just Monty Williams who's on year two, but James Jones as well. Um, right. And well, I guess he's on year three now. But so much of what he's tried to do with this team is just transforming them from they were the worst three-point shooting team in the league a couple of years ago, and he's just tried to stack the roster with competent three-point shooters. Um, and, and you know, so far, mission accomplished in the sense that Mikhail Bridges uh, shoots well, Cam Johnson can shoot off movement, Jay Crowder they brought in, he's a solid shooter in the in the corners, um, Langston Galloway they brought in in free agency, he plays spot minutes and kind of runs around screens and, and creates a lot of havoc. So it's it's been all about kind of just a, a team-oriented focus where – Devin Booker and Chris Paul are the engine of your offense in the half court, but they're trying to create enough viable weapons uh, outside of those two guys to sort of confuse some defenses. What's really stood out, I think, just just looking over their statistical profile, is is they're they're an average three point shooting team in terms of percentage, but but they get up so many shots. They they create so many three pointers. They're sixth in three point attempt rate, fifteenth in actual percentage. But in in my experience, uh, just having a team that's willing to fire up those shots, that's willing to drag the defense away from the primary action, I think is really important. And, and especially for a Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton pick and roll, like that's that's never going to be a bash you in kind of style. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, he, he loves that pick and pop jumper. He, he probably, I think, I think you could speak to that more. Uh, about his development so far with Chris Paul, but the the numbers are are down. He just had a really great game. Uh, what about DeAndre Ayton has really stood out as as maybe the keystone for uh, being a great playoff team upcoming? Yeah, I mean, at DeAndre Ayton at his best anchors this team and raises its ceiling to a new level. The reason DeAndre Ayton, I think. A lot of people are given the impression that DeAndre Ayton was drafted number one overall uh, over Luka Doncic, regardless of your feelings about that decision. Um, some people are under the impression that that was because he could be an offensive anchor for Phoenix and, you know, that you could build a team around a center who averages 25 points per game, but doesn't, you know, a center who plays like an old school center, not like a Jokic center, obviously. Sure. Um, sure. And that's not the case so much. The The reason DeAndre Ayton, I think, was drafted as high as he is, is because he has a physical profile that is incredibly unique for a seven footer. So he can drop back, he can protect the rim. And certainly he's done a great job of doing that this year. But also he's switchable and and he's he's not a go bear type center who runs the risk of being played off the floor in the playoffs. That's why you like DeAndre huh. Ayton. And, and so I think what, what's been interesting in watching the narratives about DeAndre Ayton, his rookie year, he really struggled as a defender but he was a consistent offensive player. And now by year three, it's really sort of flipped where we've seen his point per game averages go down. We've seen a little bit less confidence from him, but I, I do want to give a caveat about that because he is coming off one of the best, if not the best game of his career coming into this game. So I do think it's going to be interesting how he uh, accepts the challenge of playing against Jokic, but in general, his point per game averages are down. Um, his defense is much more consistent though. So, you know, it's been hard for, I think Suns fans, media alike, um, to get a real grip on what he's going to give you on any given night. But when he does have it, uh, the Suns become a much, much better basketball team. I'm really intrigued by him. I, I've I've seen this picture before with uh, with Jokic being compared to Carl Anthony Towns consistently, uh, Joel Embiid consistently. Obviously, all three are completely different players, and and they have their strengths and weaknesses. But if, if, if Aiton were to trend more towards being a Carl Anthony Towns type, uh, who has struggled for the majority of his career so far on the defensive end, then it, it does look a little bit grim when you talk about the way that the Suns are built uh, with with more of a perimeter-oriented style because he really is the only guy in, in the middle of the floor that, that gives them a, a big size advantage uh, from a physicality standpoint. I know Bridges is very long yeah. and, and Jay Crowder is strong for, for a wing, but, but he's not necessarily just kind of this physical specimen that a guy right. like Deandre Ayton is uh, he's more like a bit like a David Robinson or, or something like that. Exactly. Well, and that's why, you know, DA has always been built like a David Robinson, but for him, it's a mentality thing. And, and I've stressed on my podcast and in my articles for Brightside all along there is no more Aaron Baines figure on this team. There is no more. They had Rashawn Holmes backing him up his rookie season. I think both sure. of those guys were very beneficial for DA because you could always check him out if he wasn't bringing the effort. 
Now it is totally incumbent on him to bring it every night. And I do want to give him credit because I think on the defensive end, really, he has done it. I think his issues are more so on the offensive end this year. Um, but to your point, if there's a night where DeAndre Ayton isn't giving you his 12 rebounds and his physical defense, no one else on the Suns roster can do it. And so that automatically becomes a game where where the Phoenix Suns are very vulnerable. So, you know, kind of segueing, not segueing necessarily, because I'll let you take control of the flow of your own show. But oh, in, talking, in talking about these matchups coming up, uh, you know, as Denver looks at potential Phoenix X factors for the game, I think it's always about DeAndre Ayton. If you can take DeAndre Ayton out of the game, then you control all of the physical aspects of the game and Phoenix becomes so much more vulnerable to the point where now they have to rely on either Devin Booker or Chris Paul ISOing and, and just kind of succeeding in that that slow, grinded out style. Um, or they need to shoot like, you know, 40, 45% from deep as a team. And it just becomes much, much harder for Phoenix to win the game if DeAndre isn't locked in physically. Yeah, they are capable of doing that, though. Like, I, I've, I've seen the Suns team shoot, and, and I was there for the game that they played against Denver on New Year's where it was it was a, a bloodbath initially in terms of the shooting that did come back down to earth, and, and that was – that was kind of lucky for Denver, I would say, but, but that, that team is, is an unbelievably talented shooting team, I think. And, and the, the three point percentage being kind of league average, it doesn't do them justice of, of how good that they could be. Um, after these first 14 games, ha have your expectations for the season, have they kind of changed? Have they, have they increased? Have, are they kind of right where you had them? What's the, what's the general vibe about the Suns right now? Yeah, I think they've increased a little bit. Um, my preseason expectations were that this would be, I think my official prediction was the sixth seed. I think that was sure. like my, if someone asked me at some point and they can pull up a receipt on me and tell me I'm wrong later. But um, <laughs> that was like my official prediction was this is going to be the sixth seed. I think this team has shown enough now through 13 games or eight and five that, uh, yeah, they, they can go higher than that. I mean, I think in the best best case scenario, they can go as high as three. Um, I'm not saying they're going to finish at three, but I think uh, a four or five finish, uh, you know, it's something where it, it seems much more realistic now that the Suns are potentially in that top four and have home court advantage in the first round. I'm not going to guarantee it because the West is a bloodbath, as we both know, um, but it definitely feels like I'm a little bit more optimistic than I was uh, going into the year. No, it's good. And I think it's justified just given the way that this team has succeeded on both ends of the floor. That's a, it's a good thing to have. And, and that was what really helped Denver kind of break into the top four, top three, top two, whatever you want to call them over the course of the last couple of years was because that defense really shifted from one of the league worst to a, a top 15, top 10 unit. And it really just raises the floor so much higher. So I have knocked down Denver from uh, the same tier as the Clippers. I had them. I had the the initial the following tiers. I had in tier one by themselves the Lakers, tier two Clippers, Nuggets, tier three Jazz, Blazers, Mavericks, tier four Warriors, Suns, Rockets, which was Harden dependent. Sure. Uh, now I the the tier one which I would consider definite contenders. I have only the Lakers and Clippers there. Clippers have moved up. Tier two, I have the Jazz by themselves because they've they've proven enough to me that they're they're really solid. Tier three, I've knocked down the Nuggets, but I've also moved the Suns up there along with the Warriors, who I think the Nuggets, Suns, Mavs, and Warriors are all just really solid teams that have some big potential weaknesses that could that could show up in the playoffs, or at least some questions that we don't necessarily know the answers to quite yet. Uh, so yeah, like right in that three to six range, I, or four four to seven range, actually. I think that's very fair, very understanding, and and I I can absolutely see the Suns finishing four or seven. Let me ask you about Denver real quick. Do you, I, you know, they've got a great regular season record. Obviously, is that a team that scares you in a playoff setting though for Denver? Um, because for Phoenix, I kind of look up and down the the playoff picture right now and I'm trying to envision, oh, which teams would I want to play? Which teams would I not want to play? Uh, sorry, I, I said Denver, I meant Utah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I was oh. like, Hey, well, Utah's, Utah's an interesting one. Total, total uh, slip. <laughs> oh, you're good. You're good. Uh, Utah's an interesting one. The Nuggets just played them and they played with their food initially and didn't have their personnel. Correct. They, they didn't have Gary Harris. They didn't have Will Barton. They were starting uh, Torrey Craig and Michael Porter Jr. And Paul Millsap against a team that 
likes to shoot threes and likes to run really efficient offense. That just wasn't going to work. Uh, they initially worked it back in Denver one and seven. They were the better team for sure, but the jazz are, they, they do, they do scare me in terms of the, the fringes of their rotation have improved a lot. Uh, Jordan Clarkson looks like a different player than he was at the end of last year. And Derek favors as kind of a backup center option, somebody who could match size for size, maybe a power forward. Even I think he gives them another dynamic as well. So Mike Conley has really improved. I think he, I think they're solid. I think if I were, if I were really to say with my heart, what I believe these teams are going to do, I think the jazz and the nuggets are still in that same tier uh, just as kind of teams that have, have proven themselves and proven themselves to be competent in a playoff setting. But if you're looking up and down at the West, I think if, if you're if you're nervous about the Nuggets beating you, then the Jazz is the team that you want to face in the first round for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I agree with that. It's, yeah, totally. All right. Uh, let's take a break, and, and we're going we're gonna to dig more into these matchups between Denver and Phoenix real quick. I'll ask you a couple of questions after the break. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we're back. Denver Stiff Show. Ryan Blackburn here, joined today by Sam Cooper. Make sure to follow his work at S Cooper Hoops on Twitter, and, and make sure to check out some YouTube stuff that he's been doing. You you have been you've been working on that YouTube channel, correct? Yeah, we have. Uh, you know, it's a Phoenix Suns channel. So if you have some passing interest in in Suns basketball, uh, we put out analyses. Um, on on all sorts of suns. Just released a, a video on Dario Saric that I thought was kind of interesting. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to see him in either of these upcoming two games. But he has been an interesting piece for Phoenix this year when he has played for sure. He's the back of five now, right? Like, what what's going on with him? Yeah, he's so he's transitioned to being a center in the bubble, and he's still a hybrid technically in the sense that he does play power forward sometimes. But um, kind of like how I said before. Uh, when I was talking about DeAndre Ayton, like there's no Aaron Baines figure on the roster now. That's because Dario Saric is the backup five when he has played, and he's just not physical. He's not a guy who has a, a high vertical and blocks a lot of shots, but he plays, and, and excuse the comparison, because I promise I'm not, <laughs> when I when I compare him to Jokic, I know what I'm doing. I'm not saying that, you know, he's oh, you're like good. Jokic, but as a as a very watered down second unit version of Jokic, he kind of operates in the same way in the Suns offense where it's a lot of high post stuff and and kind of he becomes the center of gravity and guys rotate around him and he looks for cuts and handoffs and that sort of thing, um, which has been really interesting because I think it's opened up Phoenix's offense uh, on the bench in a lot of ways. But again, unfortunately, I, I don't think we're going to see him. He's kind of the main piece for the Suns that's still out right now. Interesting. Yeah, the the rotation is is really impressive, I will say. And then Saric kind of tying that tying everything together as kind of that four or five hybrid for, for when eight goes to the bench. It's a really impressive thing. What have the Suns been using? They've, they've been using uh, Frank Kaminsky, I assume, when, when DeAndre Ayton's on the bench? Yeah, it's been Frank Kaminsky now, and he's fine. I don't really, <laughs> I don't really have, you know, he's, he's fine. You know, I think the reason Monty Williams likes Frank Kaminsky, Monty Williams likes guys who can dribble. And Frank is a center hmm. who can dribble, you know, so he can kind of operate in the same, the same spots in the offense, not afraid to put the ball on the floor. Um, he can pass. Uh, in theory, he can shoot, you know, Frank Kaminsky is interesting because he's like a career 35% shooter, but like from the eye test, he has to be the worst career 35% shooter I've ever seen. Cause it's like, either it goes in or it's nowhere close and it's just a loud mm. clank of a brick. Um, so yeah, I mean, Frank is fine. He, he feels like 10 or 15 minutes off the bench and, and that's all you're really looking for. Yeah, he uh, he's given the Nuggets trouble in the past and, and especially Mason Plumley in the past. Like he's a, he's a guy who... <laughs> Uh, when he gets hot, 
and and when you have a guy like Mason Plumley who just doesn't close out at all on the perimeter, he's just just extremely wild. And he actually, it was it was funny. I was watching the the Pistons last night, and Frank or uh, Mason Plumley just just trucks John Collins in the corner on a three point attempt with two minutes to go, with Detroit up two, and and he fouls out of the game. John Collins makes all three free throws and the momentum is completely changed and Detroit loses the game on a tank move, but he's a, a, a diversion aside. Uh, Kaminsky's a guy who could give Denver issues, uh, especially if they have Hartenstein out there uh, oh, on, yeah. on that backup unit. Uh, to, because to Hart- keep up with, yeah, no, keep going. Sorry. Oh no. Like Hartenstein, he's, he's done a pretty good job of protecting the rim, but, but he can get lost at times. And Jamichael green is a lot smarter of a defender, but mm. he's a fowler. So mm-hmm. he'll, uh, he'll probably spend some time at backup center as well. But uh, I'm, I'm curious as to your impression of, of, of what this matchup is going to look like. Uh, this team played on new year's day in Denver. That was the first game that Michael Porter jr. Sat out and he hasn't played since. Uh, it's very possible that he could come back and maybe that does change things, but let's just assume that he's out for now. Uh, how do you think these teams match up against each other when, when these starting lineups are playing? Like what is, what is the matchup and the play style that you yourself are circling? Uh, man, I, I, again, I already kind of said it. I just think it has to come down to DeAndre Ayton and, and Jokic. Um, okay. The Suns, I'm looking at the box score from the first game. I know that might be kind of a boring answer, so I'm sorry. But, okay. Oh, you're fine. DeAndre, it's the first thing that I listed as well, so you're good. I mean, yeah, Aiton in this first game that they played between the two of them, he had 22 points, 11 rebounds, and two blocks. It was one of his better games of the season. You look at Jokic, he had 17, 9, and 11, which is good, but maybe his worst game of the season. You know, it's, it's crazy it's, to say that. But it's funny because it's up there. <laughs> And, and I think, you know, it's really kind of just indicative of what the Suns are going to do. I think DeAndre Ayton is is not an easy guy for Jokic to just plow through. He's a good defender, but no one can do it on him by themselves. So the Suns are going to try and muck it up a little bit, and they're going to make it hard for Jokic and, and kind of force someone else to beat them. And if they can get another game where he's putting up 17, 9, and 11, they'll they'll gladly take that stat line as an indication that they have a chance to win the game. Well, the other thing that... that... We, we have to mention in this case is the five personal fouls. I think that was a game where Jokic got into foul trouble. He does it uh, every so often. Uh, that, that was a particular stretch where he where he had some significant foul trouble. And that's been a, a problem that when the Nuggets lose, it often comes when Jokic has been either taken out of the game or he takes himself out of the game. And that's uh, that was that was a game that I, I remember being at where he he just picks up touch fouls on a very consistent basis. And Aiton's a guy that that he definitely will pick up touch fouls against because Aiton, he has that big body and, and Jokic likes to go for the strip. He likes to... Uh, uses hands a lot and, and Aiton's pretty crafty in terms of when when he is getting to the free throw line it's because uh, he he kind of goes through the hands of somebody else so yeah uh, that to me that to me seems like a a potential weakness for Denver in this matchup but if Jokic can stay out of foul trouble that sort of changes things because Jokic went three of five from three uh, he still stays relatively efficiently from two-point range didn't have any free throws in in that last matchup, but I think that that's a, a place where he will probably look to improve in this in this next two game stretch. Yeah, I think for Denver, with, with you talking about DeAndre Ayton and and trying to get Jokic into foul trouble, um, DeAndre Ayton is not a guy who goes to the line a whole lot, but he does sometimes. Just in, it, it really depends on the matchup, um, and it, so it all starts with perimeter defense for Denver. You want to stop Devin Booker and Chris Paul and their penetration as much as possible. Um, right. on every high screen pick and roll. And, you know, I know easier said than done, um, but it, it starts with stopping those two guys, because if you can frustrate those guys sufficiently, like I said, Phoenix is a slow half court offense this year. You can stop them in the first 10 to 15 seconds of the shot clock. That's where it's going to start. They're going to get frustrated. They're going to do those dump off passes to DeAndre Ayton in the mid range area with the shot clock winding down. And if you're Jokic, like that's what you want. Like you want it, you want to kind of force it to DeAndre Ayton with the shot clock winding down in the mid-range area, have him to just take kind of inefficient mid-range jumpers rather than really force his way to the rim and, and put his body on you. Um, so, you know, I think Denver is, is going to be looking at kind of situations like that. That's like their ideal situation is force DeAndre Ayton not to play like he's played in the past two games where he's been quite aggressive um, and, and has really served as like a lob threat who does get to the free throw line um, and more sort of like in that passive shooting role. 
What's interesting about this last matchup is, is I actually thought that Denver's defense played pretty well. And it was the first game without Michael Porter Jr. So there's probably some correlation there for sure. Uh, but Will Barton did a pretty good job. Gary Harris did a really good job against Devin Booker, despite the fact that Devin Booker went nine of 17. He was very good, but he also turned the ball over. It's on, he had eight turnovers and that's, that's just kind of how you have to live with it because Devin Booker's a bucket. Like he, he will get his shots and he will score. Uh, You just kind of have to force him into as many mistakes as possible. Um, I think that they're going to struggle again with Chris Paul because that that's just a matchup that if, if you are Denver, with the way that they like to play defense, they play Jokic up at the level of the screen. Chris Paul, he's so smart. He knows where the help is coming from. He knows that Paul Millsap and Will Barton and Jamal Murray are going to be on the weak side. They're going to be trying to play the, the bait and switch game between the, the role man and their weak side shooter. Uh, that's going to be a problem for Denver because Chris Paul does as good of a job as anybody of pulling the defense away from the place that he wants to go. So I'm I'm really looking at that. I'm looking at the bench. Uh, that's the the unit that Chris Paul and DeAndre and they 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 still stagger the the bench like that, correct? With with Paul and Aiton coming back in. Yeah, they do. And in general, just they do a lot of staggering between Paul and Booker, kind of out of necessity. Um, Cameron yeah. Payne has been sort of an unsung hero of Phoenix this year in that he went from being a guy who was out of the league basically to uh, being Phoenix's primary backup point guard. And he's actually been very good. That being said, they don't necessarily trust him to run the offense by himself for long stretches. So it's always either Paul as the point guard. And and in some cases, if he's not the point guard, then it's Booker sort of running the show. Okay. Interesting. That's, that's going to be the the time that I think that Denver is going to be hoping to make up some time Um, that those are words. I promise. Uh, Porter, Millsap, and Barton versus Crowder, Bridges, and Johnson, I think is is the second matchup that I have circled. It's not Jamal Murray versus Devin Booker. It's not Chris Paul versus Gary Harris. It's the forwards. Porter is, uh, he's confirmed back. Is that? He's questionable. He's questionable for this this week. That right there is a huge question. That right there could make or break it. It kind of, it kind of, my my next question to you was going to be, does Michael Porter Jr. drastically change this matchup? Yeah, I mean, he's he scares me in the sense that, um, yeah, I, I, well, you know, I sort of just have a question for you. Don't take this as an insult, but the the Nuggets this year. I'll start it off with the positive. You guys went up in offensive rating. Looking at the numbers right now, you went from a one thirteen offensive rating uh, per hundred possessions last year to one sixteen this year. Currently, that places you as one of the best offensive teams of all time, right alongside the Clippers and the Bucks. Uh, and of course, the Mavs finished up there last year, too. You're one of the top five offensive teams of all time. It's early on in the season, so we'll see if it sticks. But I look at this Denver roster, and you've only had Michael Porter Jr. play for four games. And Jamal Murray hasn't been bubble Jamal Murray. He hasn't been bad, but he hasn't been bubble Jamal Murray. Um, you know, so I was kind of just going to ask if there's Jokic has been so good. But is there something that I'm missing outside of that that has risen this team's offense to the next level, because uh, just to connect it to what you just asked me about, yeah, um, Porter Jr. coming back when the offense is already clicking as much as it as it is, is something that scares me for the Suns um, on a roster where otherwise, you know, I, I had kind of always assumed, well, if you can shut down Jokic and as long as Murray doesn't go off for 40 points, you probably win the game. Yeah, and as, as a Suns fan, I'm sure you're, you're like easier said than done on that latter part. Uh, that's, no, of course, of course. That's, that's definitely... Uh, the Suns, for whatever reason, are a team that Jamal Murray has circled like every every single time, and and I, I don't know why. I don't know what what the reason is there, but I think he sees it as a a really interesting competition factor. But but no, like when you when you try to identify what the what the offensive factors are, Jokic is unbelievable, and, and he I think Matt Moore put this article out on on uh, uh, Action Network over the course of the last couple of days. Jokic has the third best offensive rating in the entire NBA or when the Nuggets play Jokic, he, they have the third best offensive rating in the entire NBA. It's like 122 or something, something absurd like that. When he comes off the floor, it drops into the 90s. It's really, wow. really bad. And and so that's why he's been playing as often as he has. Like he, he's, he's setting a career high in terms of minutes played. And the Nuggets are, are very happy that, that he's been as in shape as he has been because he's been able to carry such a high 
uh, playmaking load and scoring load and, and staying effective on the defensive end all the time. Uh, he's unbelievable. Uh, a couple of other factors that I would circle to Jamichael Green, his like his shooting has been unbelievably hot. Uh, he's at about 50% from three and just, just continues to hit those open shots that, that he seems to get pretty consistently. Um, Monte Morris is the last time I checked, he's in the 100th percentile of uh, pick and roll playmakers. I love him so much. If I can just say, so and I, I just discovered his basketball reference nickname of uh, the, the count of Monte assist to turnover ratio. I just saw that that's officially <laughs> on his player profile. Uh, I love that so much. He's, he's such a great player. I actually wanted to ask you about him. Um, if I can segue for a second, I was sure. disappointed because I had forgotten that you guys already extended him. I thought that he was going to be hitting free agency. I forgot he had already signed an extension. But do you think he has a higher ceiling he can go to? Like, do you think he can be a starting point guard? Or is he just, per- I mean, you know, you don't want him in that role because of Jamal Murray, obviously. But like, just talking about where his career could theoretically go. What do you think is the limit he's, for Monte Morris? He's so fascinating because whenever Denver gives him an opportunity, he generally excels. There was a time during last season where Jamal Murray had turned his ankle. He needed to sit out for a stretch of 10, 12 games or something like that. And Monte stepped into that starting lineup and averaged really good numbers. It was, it was close to like, I think 14 points and five assists and pretty efficient play. Uh, he's a really good player. And the great thing about him is he does know his role and plays within his limitations. Those limitations do exist, but, but as he gets stronger and as he gets more accustomed to the league, those limitations have actually meant a lot less. He's finishing at the rim really well. He continues to drive into traffic and finish over Rudy Gobert and players like that, who you never think that like, Oh, Monte, he's, he's gonna, he's gonna throw up the, the signature floater that a, that a six, two undersized point guard is going to throw up there. Uh, but he shoots the ball at a very high clip. His mid range jumper is unbelievably good. Uh, he still shoots threes at a pretty high level. So if, if I were to project what his three years are going to look like on that deal, it's going to look like borderline starter play. And it kind of depends on on which team is going to want to take a chance on him. If, if they wanted to trade for Monte Morris and they, if they needed a starting caliber point guard and wanted to take an opportunity to, to get somebody that they think is pretty uh, – cost efficient in terms of like the, the 9 million per year number that we think he's going to get or that he is going to get. I think it's a good idea for any team to, to want to come and get him, but Denver isn't going to give up on him or, or give up no. on, on that play like that easily. He has been unbelievable. He's closing games for Denver right now. He's playing a career high in minutes. He has a career high in points. Uh, I think he's great. He's probably been the third best nugget and has an argument for the second best nugget, given that Denver has had some inconsistencies with Jamal Murray, mostly due to that uh, elbow injury that he sustained. It's going to be really interesting to see what Monte Morris's role continues to grow into because Harris and Barton have kind of more phased out a little bit. Uh, Monte Morris is, is playing a ton. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you brought up the idea of a trade there. I wasn't even, I would love Monte Morris. I wasn't even thinking about that, but you know, it kind of segues into a different discussion. If you don't mind me, <laughs> just oh, asking you a whole whole bunch you're of good. questions here. Obviously, you know, I have I've watched a f- couple Nuggets games this year, but I, coming from the outsider's perspective, you talked about them being in the tier below the Clippers uh, and and the Lakers, obviously, which to me, kind of you know, with with your championship window, Jokic in the prime of his career would kind of suggest to me that maybe, and, and I'm not plugged into the Denver online scene, so I don't know what you're, what people on Denver stiffs uh, are talking about every day. I can imagine sure. the, I can imagine the comment sections are just as full of life as the bright side of the sun's ones. There's are. a lot of um, discourse. Let's just say lot, that. Let's just, <laughs> there's discourse and there are characters on both ends of the spectrum. Um, it would suggest to me, if you're talking about this team as uh, uh, third in the West, as being in trade territory, like what can we get to put us over the hump? And I don't know if you've thought about that. And I don't know if that's a discussion that you guys are having of like, who's available and what are you looking for? If, if it did come to that. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, I kind of want to table that in, until the third segment. Let's, let's that's table fine. that and let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's go to a break. And when we come back, I will answer that exact question. We'll be right back.
And we're back. Denver Stiff Show. Ryan Blackburn here, joined today by Sam Cooper of, of Bright Side of the Sun uh, and the Timeline Podcast. Make sure to check those things out if you're looking for good analysis after the Nuggets surely will clean the clocks of the Phoenix Suns over the course of the next couple of days. It's going to be going to be great when Michael Porter Jr. comes back and and drops 50 points. He'll be good. I'm Mikhail Bridges. You know, that's an interesting one, actually. Uh, Josh Everly put out a tweet that that had uh, Mikhail Bridges versus Michael Porter Jr. And I got to be honest, those were the two players that I circled uh, in the 2018 draft as the players that I wanted for Denver. Uh, If Michael Porter Jr. was going to drop, he's obviously a super like a a star talent that that you want to assume as much of those as you can, especially in kind of the, the middle of the first round where Denver Denver selected him. But Mikhail Bridges was the other guy that I was like, okay, this is the dude that you want in between Jamal Murray and, and Nikola Jokic. Like he's unbelievable, right? He's, he's just glue is the way I always describe him. He's the ultimate glue guy. And, and, you know, I think the reason that poll was interesting, I retweeted that poll too. I remember the same one. I bet you did. My- to get my biased followers to my minions, if you will. But uh, I, I, the the interesting thing about those two guys is that they're just so different. You know, with Mikhail, we're still trying to figure out what his ceiling actually is. Maybe it's not mm-hmm. that high. Whereas I think Porter has a, an, an unbelievably high ceiling. Now, I will say I didn't expect Mikhail to go from nine to 15 points per game this fast. So maybe his ceiling actually is higher than we gave him credit for. And age is not always a perfect thing with this. You know, just because a guy who was a junior or senior in college a lot of people sometimes assume that that guy has a lower ceiling and that's not always the case once they get into an NBA system and have access to different resources and coaching. Um, but in theory, Mikhail is not a guy who's going to create all of his offense for himself. He's going to take, you know, he, he is getting better with his off the dribble attacks, but is still mostly a spot up shooter, mostly a cutter and a defender which makes him mostly fit into that uh, prototype role of this is a great three and D guy, a great supplementary piece. Right. But like, you know, I know what you're thinking with, with MPJ is that you're thinking you get someone who can do a lot more than that. Well, that's the hope. And, and I'll, I'll more table that discussion because it's, it's a painful discourse that I'm sure Nuggets fans are, would love to have, but I'm not going to indulge at this point. (laughs) Uh, It's just, it's just, it is what it is. Like, uh, both teams should be happy with the players that they got. Um, I think that Mikhail Bridges is the exact type of player that the Nuggets need, that if they're looking for a trade, then that's that's the dude. Um, he's not obviously – like, obviously he's not available. And and there are very few players that are like Mikhail Bridges that you could get. But we talk about what the Nuggets need to go from a a pretender to a contender, which is, I think, where, where we're at with this, that if you're, if you're – pegging them to be third in the West or fourth in the West, uh, then, then you're not a contender. Like that's just pretty simple. Uh, They need somebody who can match up with LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Luka Doncic, et cetera. There is nobody in the league that's better at that, except for maybe the LeBron part than, than Mikhail Bridges. He is long. He's athletic. He spaces the floor on offense and does the things that you need to do next to a Nikola Jokic type uh, so that that would be the that would be the type of player that I'd be looking for if I were the Nuggets because can I then, suggest one name? Um, uh, yeah, go ahead. It's it's a joke answer. How how much has uh has have you been watching Jeremy Grant? Uh, yeah, here's the thing, uh, man. I I I, I I read your articles. You know, I'm familiar with your writing, and I saw you were a big defender of Jeremy Grant last year in the playoffs. Other people would try to bring up net rating stats about Millsap on-off differentials and stuff like that. You were a, a big believer in just Grant's skill set to do exactly, and, and I know exactly what you're talking about, just body up against. He played some great defense against guys like Kawhi Leonard last year. Uh, man, but, but no one saw this coming, right? <laughs> what he's doing right yeah, now. Like, even you didn't uh... see that coming. So I, I saw his role in Oklahoma City as kind of that, that de facto third or fourth option uh, next to Russell Westbrook and Paul George. He, he didn't necessarily play like that all the time, but they gave him the ball sometimes in the post, on the wing. Uh, when, they, when they were tired of creating everything, they would give it to Jeremy Grant and he would do pretty well. And Denver was kind of on the verge of discovering that, yes, he could do that as well. And then he had some games in the playoffs where he was incredibly valuable on both sides of the ball. And you're, you're talking about the, the, the exact perfect player that you're looking for a long athletic uh, shooting forward who can, who can switch on defense and does everything on the, the team defensive side that you need. Uh, he would be great. 
unfortunately the nuggets they they offered him a fair deal and, and he just decided that he didn't want to to accept that so it's it's really annoying when as a nuggets fan you you understand that there is a distinct path to winning a championship and the only thing that can really block that is is a is a player's personal motives that that despite them being in the perfect situation that could win them a championship that that's that's not really what they wanted so he he has his own personal motives and i get it it is his decision to make and and there's there's no complaints here about the decision that he did make but it does hurt from a from a denver nuggets perspective what about here's a here's a serious suggestion um because i know Nuggets fans are probably tired of hearing about Jeremy Grant, if we're being honest. Um, <laughs> what about like Aaron Gordon? Aaron Gordon's uh, a guy yeah. who, who's been suggested to in trades to Phoenix. Uh, they don't need him anymore because now they have Jay Crowder. But previously, he was suggested in trades to Phoenix for years. And, and I always kind of scoffed at the idea. But he is a solid player and maybe kind of fits what you're talking about. Yeah, the, the thing about the Denver offense is that when it's when it's optimized, when it's when it's doing what it's supposed to be doing, you have players who are unselfish, who are willing to play different roles and who can do just about everything while also being dynamic and being okay with not doing everything all the time. And so Aaron Gordon's a player that you look at his profile defensively. He spent some time guarding Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs for for uh, against Toronto uh, when when Orlando made it there last time. Uh, he has spent some time on guys like Giannis. Uh, he's a very physical player who has that perfect profile of about 6'8", athletic, strong, that you're looking for when, when guarding some of these players. Uh, he is the perfect option for Denver right now. He is the perfect balance between affordability and effectiveness in terms of where where that player is going to come from, who that player could possibly be that could fill that role that I'm talking about. Because let's face it, Paul Millsap is not going to do it. Jamichael Green, despite the fact that he's he's 30 and is relatively athletic for his size, he's just not quick enough in order to guard on the perimeter like that. So Aaron Gordon is. Aaron Gordon, if he was willing to kind of take a step back, kind of operate the short corner at times, maybe be a spot-up shooter. Sometimes he'll do DHO and post-up stuff, but like most of the time he's going to be a role player on the offensive end. He would be perfect. He would be great. You need to give up. I'm just looking at the contracts here. You need to give up either Gary Harris or Barton, though. Mm-hmm. Um, you cool with that? Yeah. Just like I can't. I'm trying would be you know because because Gary <laughs> Harris in particular is is such an enigma to me I don't even know what, what you guys think about him anymore I don't even know what I think about him anymore <laughs> you know like I, it's I'm tough. trying to figure out what's the reasonable middle grounds with with Gary Harris of a guy who's kind of lost all his confidence on offense but still plays a role like he, he does some stuff obviously uh you know he's he's a good defensive talent but yeah just trying to figure out exactly what role he plays on on a contending team and and yeah it's tough maybe he's the guy who goes if if you uh, try to structure a, an Aaron Gordon trade. I'm going to hit you with a crazy stat. Are you ready? Yeah, sure. Gary Harris is shooting 7.7% on above the break threes. Yeah, that's really bad. That's, yeah, I mean, that's, they can't get much worse than that, man. <laughs> that's really bad. He's, so uh, he's shooting. No, hold on. Hold on. That's not even the finisher. He's shooting 48% on corner threes. So, but why? I don't is, know. Are you, is that just luck or is that, you know, what's know. wrong with him? Because <laughs> that's what I can't figure out. He is he is an enigma. He has this great corner three-point stroke that when he sets up in the corner, when he's comfortable, he hits about 50% of those shots and has done so, especially lately, pretty well. But when you put him above the break and, and the Nuggets have, have had these opportunities and most of the time when he's taking these shots, he's wide open. Uh, for for whatever reason, he's just not seeing the not seeing the the rim. I guess like it's it's just very odd, and and I don't I don't know how to fix it. So I I don't know if it is something that can be fixed. I I don't know what Denver is looking for, but but they've included him in in trade proposals for guys like Drew Holiday in the past. They've explored trading for Zach Levine. Uh, that's obviously not a great fit, and it's not something that they would consider anymore. But like, I I don't know what they're looking for with him. And I don't know what they're looking for with Barton. What I do know is that you need an Aaron Gordon type on this roster in order to win a championship. That is what I do know. And and are you willing to give up? Cause I don't know what Orlando's a weird team too. Cause I don't know if they ever want to rebuild exactly, or, you know, they are rebuilding, but they're rebuilding on their own terms, which doesn't mean tanking. 
Um, are you willing to give up draft capital too? Like is RJ on the table? Is Bull Bull on the table? What, you know, to what extent do you leverage your future to make the play for right now? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that's, if it were up to me, then yes. If it were up to me, then then you go for it. With with the way the Jokic is playing right now, you can't promise that Murray and Porter are going to be happy and 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 consistently wanting to do the same things uh, multiple years down the road. Like this is this is a a situation that Denver has the right pieces to win a title if they just get this one piece. Like that to me is is more valuable than anything at this point, other than like selling your soul. Um, Denver has been burned in the past, and especially with Jeremy Grant, that when they've made plays for uh, by trading certain guys, by trading for certain guys, whether it's Grant, whether it's Andre Iguodala back in the day, those guys have immediately walked out on Denver. I think that they're feeling burned. I think that they feel like they they don't know how to deal with that problem, and they would prefer to solve it internally. The problem is, is that there are so few of those players that can be found, especially on a short-term basis, that you probably have to trade for somebody because Denver's not going to have uh, free agency money. Those players are so valuable on the free agency market that you're not going to be able to afford them anyway. Like, what what are the Nuggets going to do, and how could they potentially solve such a glaring issue unless they trade for somebody? Because they're not drafting somebody, and like they 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 drafted R.J. Hampton and Zeke Naji in the first round this year, those are not, con- not a, contributors, not in- yeah, I mean, like, maybe down the line, but not year one contributors for a, sure. Exactly. Gone, and and to be clear, round. like, like RJ Hampton is a skinny six, five, like combo guard. Zeke yeah. Nashi is a six foot 11, uh big man who's, who can probably swing between the four and the five, similar to a Jalen Smith, I think. Uh, I don't know, like, like what that's going to look like for Denver and, and whether, whether they can actually, win a championship with those guys without getting that three, four hybrid, like Porter kind of is that, but he's the offensive version of that. They need the defensive version of that. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. And you talk about free agency too. I haven't really looked ahead to the upcoming class, so I don't even know who's available in, in that. I, I just assume nobody like that's, that's where I'm at. <laughs> like, like everybody has extended has been traded. They like I've, Denver, Denver never has, has cap space anyway, given the contracts right. that they've signed. Like, like when you, when you, when you sign Murray to a contract, when you sign Jokic to a contract, rightly so, of course, there are just certain concessions that you have to make about your, your free agency spending. And Denver's just not going to have that opportunity. So either they have to draft said person or they have to trade for said person. So that's kind of where I, where I approach this conversation. Like it's, it's a, it's a tough place for Denver to be because despite the fact that I think that they have a plus four net rating, it's, it's the fifth best in the NBA right now, despite the fact that, that they're right. only seven and seven, like they are a good team. They're clearly a good team and they're clearly they're a talented a great team. team. Yeah, yeah. Like, like they have the, the they just beat the Clippers. Like, but, but they're a great Grant, team. Yeah, they're a great team, but I guess it just surprises me. Uh, honestly, it surprises me how open you're being about this weakness. Yeah, you know, because I figured I would ask about it, maybe tease you about Jeremy Grant a little bit, but I didn't know maybe the extent to which uh, this is something that's on your guys' minds as, as yeah, a pressing it's, it's, need. It's probably more about my mind than than anybody else's mind. I, I tend to be a, a problem solver uh, in terms of the – the the potential problems that the Nuggets are going to have, and and I look at their first matchup with the Clippers this past year, or or this this past Christmas, and Kawhi Leonard went off, and Will Barton couldn't say anything about it, and they, yeah. they didn't have any any guy to really counter them. The the, the best pl- defender on him that day was Michael Porter right. Jr. And like, no and no regular season net rating is going to save you from that because you just I, you, you dread yes. it because you know it's yes. coming. Yeah, and and that's like the Utah Jazz conundrum, I think. Because they have they have like the, this this perfect formula for a, for a great net rating during the regular season, but like you said, like they have weaknesses that you can exploit in the playoffs, and you just don't fear it at all. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm just worried about Denver turning into that regular season juggernaut that doesn't do anything in the playoffs, and I'd love to be able to head it off at the pass. Aaron Gordon's a guy that I think could help that. Maybe Otto Porter, Jay Crowder was mm. a guy that I would have liked to to sign for the mid level. Uh, yeah, he would be great. I mean, supposedly, according to what Jay says, and and he has obviously he has reason to beef up his own stock, but he said he had like 15 teams calling him about that mid-level and he chose Phoenix, which is 
kind of another indication just of where Phoenix's culture has come in the past couple of years that they could even entice him offering the same money as all yeah. these other playoff teams. But, uh, but yeah, he would have been great. Let's circle back to, to Phoenix real quick. Uh, if, if Denver and Phoenix were to match up in a playoff series, uh, yeah. how do you Which think very well could, could happen the way it, it very going. well could happen? Like, like those teams are probably going to be in the three, six matchup either way. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the, it's one of the teams that scares me um, for sure. A, a lot more than say a team like Utah. Um, here's the reason I think Denver has to be worried first. I'll start with that. Sure. Um, I think Phoenix is not firing in all cylinders yet between Devin Booker and Chris Paul. It's going to take those guys some time to adjust. But the scary thing about Phoenix, I think, and, and what they could, the, the way that they could catch someone off guard in a first round series, even if let's say they finish as just the sixth or seventh seed, is that Chris Paul and Devin Booker are two of the best isolation scorers in the NBA. And they're going to spend the entire season slowing it down, not focusing too much on transition. They're kind of playing, they're preparing themselves to play a playoff style sort of basketball, where if you don't have the necessary guard defenders to really lock those guys down, they will brutalize you in those settings. And and, and maybe they won't, but obviously history says that Chris Paul is one of the best mid-range shooters of all time. One of the best, you know, pull-up mid-range scorers. Devin Booker is, is fantastic in that role as well. So I think that's what teams have to worry about with Phoenix. Whereas, you know, the reason you don't necessarily have to worry about that as much with a team like Utah, so much just focused around Donovan Mitchell. They do have offensive pieces around him, but with Phoenix, it's kind of more of a, a dual caliber system. So that's what you have to worry about with Denver is it all starts with Chris Paul and Devin Booker uh, for Phoenix. It's, you know, their defense is good, but is it that good? Is it good enough to, to stop one of the teams that I literally said is playing like one of the best offensive teams of all time right now? I don't know. Right. You know, I, I, you know, I think if Jamal Murray continues to play at his current level, then you have a chance just by focusing all of your attention on Nikola Jokic. But if Jamal Murray plays anything like he did in the playoffs, then you might be screwed. Um, so, so you know, it's going to be tough for both sides, I think, at just stopping the other side. One of the things that I look at from, from Denver's perspective is a team like Phoenix. Denver is, is one of the t- – this is, this is one of the matchups, Phoenix, that, that Denver actually has some physical advantages. That when Jokic gets into the post, if it's anybody but DeAndre Ayton, he'll have a physical advantage against yeah, if it's Sharich, um, then then he doesn't, you know. Yeah, if it's if it's Jay Crowder, if it's Frank Kaminsky, right. if it's if it's a switch against Paul or Booker or, or Bridges or somebody like that, then I think you're looking at that if you're Jokic, like okay, barbecue chicken, let me create a double team or just score over the top of this guy and just get the ball yeah, but, moving a little bit. Um, but the other one is Porter, and and I haven't even mentioned Murray yet, who like like he's he's done really well against Phoenix for obvious reasons, but. Uh, or uh, like not obvious reasons, but like he's, he's done well against them in the past. Uh, Porter at six foot 10 and, and just as a, as a physical presence on the interior that can still rise up over any challenge and hit shots. He's a guy that if I'm looking at it with Phoenix, I would be worried that even, even putting a guy like Bridges on him or a guy like Jay Crowder, that there may still be questions about whether those guys could handle him because he doesn't score in the traditional way where he's trying to create off the dribble or he's trying to be crafty. He he's not crafty in the slightest. Like he, he dribbles into a pull-up three that nobody can block like except right. Anthony yeah. Davis. Yeah. Like, it's, it's such a privilege to, to have that. And, and Suns fans, it's not the same, but Suns fans, you know, have been trying to kind of get Cam Johnson to realize the same thing to an extent where it's like, sure. You're six, you're six, nine, you're six, 10. It's such a privilege for him because he's not an off the dribble threat that much, but for him, it's like, we want you to run off screens and then just rise up immediately and don't hesitate to shoot because you're 6'10", you can shoot over anyone. So it's it's kind of the same premise there. I think the series would be really interesting just in terms of media narratives. Like there would be, there would be so much oh, yeah. about Jamal Murray versus Devin Booker <laughs> uh, and, you know, Mikhail Bridges versus Michael Porter Jr. and DeAndre Ayton mm-hmm. versus Jokic. I think there would be like all of these little mini wars going on that would be fun for like NBA Twitter would be talking about it and... I would yeah, it would, it. it would be really cool. Yeah, it would it would be fun. But but I will say again, I don't want to play you guys in the first round. <laughs> There's there are several <laughs> other teams that I'd much rather play in the first round. Yeah, if if I were to if I were to just be honest about a prediction, I would probably say Denver and six or Denver and seven. 
just because I trust Jokic in that matchup a little bit more over DeAndre Ayton. Like I, I, I have all the respect in the world for what DeAndre Ayton has turned himself into after his rookie year, but he has like, he still has a long way to go. And, and Jokic is just so crafty in terms of his scoring that he's going to pick and pop him to death, get him off of his feet with a pump fake and then drive into the lane and create open shots for everybody. So that would be my, that'd be my greatest fear if I were Phoenix. Um, and I, I just think that Denver, with with the you talked about the isolation scorers at the beginning. That's one of the, the better advantages that that Jamal Murray has has had to his game. That a guy like Gary Harris will will continue to do against a guy like Devin Booker. It's never going to be perfect. And, and Will Barton is is another guy like that that has done pretty well. PJ Dozier has done well. Uh, Denver does have guys that they can throw at those guys in isolation yeah. and feel okay. Like You're it much- won't be great, but like it would be fine. Right. I mean, they'll get their points, but you're much better suited. Your roster construction is much better suited to guard a Devin Booker, a Damian Lillard, a Steph Curry, if you match up against any of those teams, than they are to guard a Kawhi Leonard, right? So like, there's certain types of superstars that, that give you guys more trouble than others. What, what team are you, are you circling in the playoffs that you're most interested in facing? And this will be the last, this will be the last thing that we talk about, man. So I, I don't want to face Utah, but I talked about, I'd feel a little more comfortable with them. Let me look at the standings real quick. Uh, it's just weird, dude. Cause, cause here I see Portland is eight and six. That's not going to stick. Right. Cause CJ and, and yeah. Nurkic are, are both missing significant time. Memphis Agreed. has missed a lot of John Moran and they're seven and six. So I know, and the Spurs are eight and seven. So I, you know, I'm looking here. The Thunder have won six games. The Thunder have won six games. Um, So first of all, I think that what that says is the NBA is in a pretty good place right now where all of the teams that everyone expected to be awful, even those teams have somehow found a way to scrap to, to three or four or five, even six wins. And I think that's a, that's a good thing for the league. Who would I circle? I, I guess I definitely think the Suns would be a, a little bit more comfortable with a team like Dallas or Memphis or, or if San Antonio squeaks in in the first round. If they can play any of those teams, even even Golden State. Um, well, maybe maybe not Golden State. I don't know. That's an interesting one. I'd, I'd be I'd be intrigued by that matchup. That would be that'd well. Be right now, uh, obviously, we hope things don't stay like they are right now because if it was right now, Denver would be the tenth seed. But Currently, uh, Phoenix is four and Golden State is five. So that would be the current first round matchup. And Steph Curry is going to scare you in a playoff setting. And Draymond Green is. But yeah, I mean, I don't I just don't know if Golden State depth doesn't really matter in the playoffs. But I just don't know if they even have like the starting lineup depth to keep up. That's going to be such an interesting. Yeah, thing I mean, about. I know you're probably resident Cali Ubre stand number one. Like, like he's he's been he's been great for for Phoenix. But but for for Golden State, like he just hasn't hasn't really translated there and it's hard I to mean, trust Andrew a, Wiggins. Like, like there, it's just, yeah. I like Kelly Oubre. The last thing I'll say on him is, uh, you know, I always liked Kelly Oubre, but there was a reason that Suns fans were willing to move on to get Chris Paul, who was such an upgrade um, over both, you know, even Chris Paul over Kelly Oubre and Ricky Rubio in aggregate form was an upgrade for Phoenix. And the reason that is, is because Kelly is questionable as a decision maker he's pretty good as a just a finisher you want him to leak out and transition he's an athletic guy he's a much better shooter than he's showing with golden state so far but when you put the ball in his hands and you ask him to kind of be a quasi second third option and, and make decisions and quick reads he struggles he's always struggled with that and if golden state wants him to do that in order to succeed in the playoffs i, j- I just don't know how how well that's going to work kelly Oubre for gary harris who says no Oh, uh, that's interesting. That's really interesting. Well, I mean, Gary Harris can't do that either for Golden State, right? Um, Kelly, well, he's Ubre, more though, of a guard defender as as opposed to like they, they have Wiggins who can defend on the wing a little bit, but they I'm not sure if they have anybody that you, that you really trust to to guard opposing point guards. Here's what I will say: I think if you traded for Kelly Oubre right now, your fans your fan base would be up in arms because of how he's played. Again, I think Kelly is better than what he's shown this year but but the thing about him he's a good point of attack perimeter defender but that's not it, that's not really what you need because you, you know like the reason the suns upgraded from kelly Oubre and brought in jay crowder jay crowder's got 25 pounds on kelly Oubre. like kelly sure. Oubre's playing power forward but he's a little bit wiry he's he's more like a 215 pound type guy um he, I, like he he can do a better job maybe of matching up with Kawhi leonard or someone like that in a playoff setting than jamichael green on the perimeter for sure. But like, once you put him in the post, he's still, you're still going to run into that same issue where he's just kind of a thin guy and not really 
the physical profile that a guy like Jeremy Grant was. Interesting. Well, Sam, it's been a great podcast. I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your insight on the Suns. It's been it's been a lot of fun. Uh, let let the people know where what you're doing next and, and where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at S Cooper Hoops. Uh, Ryan uh, plugged it a couple times already. Thank you again so much for bringing me on. Sure. Um, and and yeah, just you know, Phoenix and Denver might be a first round matchup. So if you find yourself wanting any Suns analysis, follow me on Twitter. We have a Suns podcast that comes out every single week. We have a Suns YouTube channel called The Timeline, the Phoenix Suns channel, where we talk about the Suns. So uh, yeah, you know where to find me. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate your your insight, and I appreciate uh, you taking the time with me, man, on this Thursday night. So thank you, everyone, for listening in, and we'll talk to you guys next week.